when we're younger, we're predominantly about the seeking system and the play system. We're trying to figure out who we are in the world, go out, what are we going to do? What are we going to get now? We're going to play our way there. And then at a certain point, roughly around 30 or whatever, we start getting the stuff we want. Have the family, you've got the job, you've got, you start having stuff to lose. May not even be the stuff you really want, but you've got stuff that you want to protect and you want to continue. Once that happens, our mindset shifts and we start to develop this mindset of old. It's not, we're not thinking, oh, I'm old. We're thinking, oh, I got to, I got to take care of my family. Oh, I got to hold on to this job. I got, that's what we're thinking. But what it does to us uh, mentally is that's where the, I think that's where like that mental aging process starts. That was Stephen Kotler, you guys. Uh, dear friend, been on the show a couple times. If you are new to his work, you have to check it out. Uh, uh, in this particular episode, I remind y'all that we have uh, had some conversations in the past, mostly around flow and creativity. And I think I think flow has sufficiently entered the contemporary vocabulary, that state where everything just feels great. It ha it's happening for you. You're not aware of time and space. You're totally absorbed in what you're doing. Your attention's focused. You're feeling good. And the results are the best. So Stephen has written more in a contemporary setting about that stuff than anybody else. Takes a lot of the concepts from a chap named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who uh, has written, uh, developed the concept of flow and named it. Um, but that's not all that we cover in today's show. As you can imagine from that cold open, uh, hearing from Stephen Kotler, Stephen Kotler has, has in a very unique way helped us understand that, you know, this whole idea of flow, well, let's map that onto, uh, how we grow, how we grow older, how we invent and reinvent ourselves, and how do we dispel the myth that now that we're getting older, or if we're not 24 anymore, that we, you know, greatness has left the building. What we know, in fact, is that just the opposite is true. And Stephen, in his latest book that we cover called NAR Country, G-N-A-R Country, uh, he documents a process that he takes himself through at 50-something uh, years old, learning to, to do some extreme sports. Now, this is not a book about extreme sports. This is a book about knowing what are essential ingredients to keeping vitality, health, longevity, creativity, physicality at you know, at a, a level that makes life incredibly rich. This has everything to do with being able to invent and reinvent yourself. This is one of my favorite episodes in a long time because I feel like I said this at one point in the show, you'll hear it basically uncorks a bottle that has had a cork jammed in it for a really long time. And it's the good stuff that we all need to be drinking. So Again, please enjoy this particular episode, yours truly with Stephen Kotler, about how to bring more flow into our lives, giving us the ability to invent and reinvent ourselves going forward. It's a beautiful episode. Again, yours truly and Stephen Kotler. Mr. Stephen Kotler, welcome back on the show. Thanks for being here, buddy. It is great to be with you. It is nice to see your face, despite not being in the same room, which I like being in the same room with you whenever I can. Where are you right now? Are you uh, down south? I'm in Tahoe. Yeah, Tahoe. Must be nice. Must be nice. 
Um, we're going to a lot of, we got a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about today. Um, not the least of which is a new book. Um, but before then, uh, you have been on the show at least once before, I think twice. Um, and you're a returning guest for a reason because you are an expert on a number of things, uh, that are expressly valuable to our community. Um, one of which is flow. And I have talked about flow for a decade, not knowing what it was. And then when it entered the vernacular and when Mihai, tell me if I pronounce this right, Mihai Chick sent me high. Close enough. Nailed it. Okay. Um, uh, talked a lot about flow and you have made that work and of course added your own, made this very visible through the lens of primarily the action sports community where we've seen athletes um, grow and expand what's possible with humanity, with the, this body that we have and these brains that we have, uh, which is of deep interest to our community because this is about human performance and finding our, ourselves and being the best version of ourselves, being more creative and, and all of the things. And this work has led you also into a number of paths, one of the, which we will talk about today, the new book, but Outside of what I've just described, I'm wondering if you can place, orient your work in, say, time and space relative to the audience that you know are, are listening today, like you know, creators, entrepreneurs, people who are interested in human performance. What parts that I leave out and can you paint a more whole and richer picture for us? Yeah, I, I, I so I... You were absolutely correct, right? Um, and although I've written a bunch of books, I've I've focused on the uh, the neurobiology of peak human performance in, in in the sort of the second half of my career. I'm the executive director of the Flow Research Collective, and the only thing I want to sort of expand on is um, the idea that flow, which for the four people in the audience who who don't know what the technical definition is, let's just start there. So we're okay. on the same page. Flow, it, it, scientifically, if we're going to define it, it's an optimal state of consciousness, one where we feel our best, we perform our best, and it just refers to any of those moments of sort of rapt attention and total absorption. It's so focused on what you're doing, something else just starts to melt away, disappear, and all aspects of performance, mental and physical, go through the roof. And it, it flow has been very much associated with, I think, athletics, athletes and artists. And yes. some of this was uh, when Mike Mihajic sent me high, started doing his early work. His research, his earliest research was on artists, but he was also, he studied a bunch of rock climbers. He himself was a rock climber and a mountaineer. So that, that those ideas definitely infused the work. And I certainly didn't help matters when I wrote Rise of Superman. Um, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, flow is ubiquitous in human beings, right? It shows up anywhere, any, in anyone, provided certain initial conditions are met. And, you know, for entrepreneurs, for creatives, this is sort of the foundation of like, this is, this, this is the core ingredient. This is, this is how we, how we do our jobs, I think. Um, but it's really, I mean, you know, it's interesting. One of the more common flow states on earth is reading. And when they do studies, they find one of the most common flow states on earth. So you can have a shared collective version of flow state, right? Individual flow. And then there's group flow or team flow. Um, and there's something interpersonal flow, which is two people talking, lost in a conversation. And there's studies showing the most common flow state on earth is actually two middle managers at work getting lost in a conversation. That seems to be one. Of, yeah, no, but wow. like, and that and that that actually dates back. Uh, that was Mike's research himself. That was Chick Semi High's research. Um, 
uh, dating back to the 70s or at least the 80s. So yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it definitely is associated with artists and with athletes, but it, it shows up everywhere. And, and the work we do at the, the Flow Research Collective, we're now training people in 130 countries. So globally, and like the companies we're working, like just in terms of like the spectrum, Facebook, Accenture, Audi, Bain Capital, San Francisco Police Department, the Air Force, you know, and I, so it's a broad spectrum of folks at this point, um, which I think is really cool, right? It, you, you know, flow is, is I mean, it, it's for everyone. Obviously, it's a hardwired part of being human, but I think everybody's starting to get hip to that fact, which is exciting. Well, you know, this is what I love about my friends and you in particular on this subject is I get to be friends with these people like yourself who have brought the, this was known again, go back to, uh, you call him Mike, uh, me Chikson, he asked me work. to call him Mike the very first time we talked Great. on the phone. So Great. that Mike it is. Okay. It's Mike. Um, that legendary research is now like you say I'm in a flow state. People actually understand what that is. As you said, you defined it this you know, optimum neurochemical, cocktail that's in your body that makes you feel a certain way perform a certain way that that was even that wasn't even part of the vernacular again go back 10 years ago unless you were in the scientific community where mike had done the work or some bleeding edge um athletic pursuit and yet as you said it's everywhere it's something we all have access to and let's just put it out there if who wouldn't want to get a little bit more of that in their lives i don't know a single person who would report less flow please i'm good exactly said no one ever which, which is, is said no one know, ever <laughs> which is um you know based on some of your clients that you just shared with us uh and the books that you have written has made a nice living for you but we're going to turn our attention now from this broader concept and again, if you want to uh, dive deep into the specifics, the cocktail of, you know, norepinephrine and nepo- you know, all these, all the, the biochemical cocktail in your body, Stephen is the you know foremost expert and has written in length about that. You can see other conversations that we have. But today's conversation, I want to try and focus on the everyman, the everyone who can have access to this, who wants access to it, and what role in particular does it play in our life as we grow and mature? And some of us get, let's just say, get older. You've written about this in your new book called NAR Country, which I love the title. Hilarious to me and brilliant. I love it. Um, welcome us to that work through the lens of what you've already told us. For sure. Um, it's a great place to start. So NAR Country is uh, is a book about peak performance aging. And uh, it actually... Um, a lot of the research, a lot of the work really came out of the flow work. So it's funny that you, we were talking a lot about um, me had set me high. Godfather of flow psychology, of course. Um, I've always said, I think he was a better creativity researcher than he was a flow researcher. I think, mm. meaning I think he spent more, more time really thinking about that. But actually, besides the point where he spent the bulk of his time um, meaning if you're just counting up by, by actual books, he wrote about them, is in the subject of adult development. How do we grow up? How do we become mature adults? What role does flow play in that? And what role does it play in, you know, peak performance aging, successful aging, healthy aging, whatever, whatever you want to talk about that. And let me say a couple of things. Because we were talking about peak performance aging, and I want to say something. Great. When I think about peak performance aging, one, 
one thing that's very clear from the data, it starts young. So like <laughs> there's stuff you want, like you can rock till you drop, but there's stuff you want to start paying attention to in your twenties and your thirties and your forties. So like for sure. The second thing that I want, I want to point out is that a lot of the shifts that we want to talk about, like the shifting our mindset around how we feel about the second half of our lives and things like that, what we, what you would call the, like the mindset of old, that feeling of like, okay, I'm past my sell by date that shows up remarkably early. Like that could show up as early as 30 yeah. and it's incredibly negative mindset. It's a very dangerous mindset going forward. So I want to just sort of start there and. When I talk about peak performance, we're talking about nothing fancier than getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. And when I'm talking about peak performance aging, we're talking about the exact same thing, just applying our biology to the challenges and opportunities of the second half. Okay. All that said, where things get really super cool with him, with flow, for starters, for this to make any sense, flow states have triggers. So if you want more flow in your life, right, this is your toolkit and the most not most important, one of the most important flows triggers is what's known as the challenge skills balance. So one way to think about this is flow follows focus and can only show up with all our attention is in the right here, right now. That's what all the triggers do. They drive our attention to the present moment. They do it a bunch of different ways. One of which ways is the challenge skills balance. The idea here is really simple. We pay the most attention to the task at hand, what we're doing when the challenge of that task slightly skis our skill set. So you're always... To get into flow, you're always stretching and pushing on your skills. So what Chick set me high noticed is, A, you're always pushing on your skills. So on the other side of a flow state, you're more skillful. You're more adaptable. You're more complex. More importantly, or equally important, one of the things that happens, flow is peak performance, and a lot of things get amplified, including flow over time makes us more empathetic. And it actually makes us more wa more wise. And wisdom is a is a very specific, it's a neurobiological trait. It's a very, it's a number of things in the brain. We know what it is. It's not this squishy, sort of soft idea. It's a very hard, important fact. But flow automatically expands wisdom and empathy. And it automatically gives us new skills. Mike, me had to accept me. I argued this is the very engine of adult development. This is literally how we grow up. I don't I like I want to say it is one of the ways we grow up. I don't know if I can make the blanket statement though. He he seemed to be um you know he passed away a about a year and a half ago. So uh and it, it's funny because the last conversation we had was on peak performance aging it was on these topics. But what I never got to ask him was this question: Do you think this is the only engine of development or right? And I and I and I don't I don't know. In his books, it, he seems to sort of make the case that this is the engine. So one. Flow science goes right into this question. And what was really neat, where I started and what in our country really is, and like we might as well get there because your audience <laughs> is going to like it. So we all know the sort of classic saw, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Now we also, you may or may not know this, but if like one of the most important things for, you know, kicking ass later in life is lifelong learning. Lifelong learning is unbelievably important and it's, and it's twofold. You want expertise and wisdom, both of which are actually neuroprotective against cognitive decline. So you want to stave off Alzheimer's, you want to stave off dementia, those kinds of issues. Um, wisdom and expertise are your toolkit. 
And one of the easy ways to explain that is um, the most vulnerable portion of our brain is the prefrontal cortex, the part that's right back here. And um, this is where a lot of wisdom and expertise gets stored. And what's cool about both of those things is these kinds of neurological insults we're worried about later in life, they tend to target very specific parts of the brain. Wisdom and expertise are these very diffuse, big networks. So there's a lot of redundancy. That's the, that's the whole point here. But anyways, lifelong learning really matters to big performance, aging, and, and, and so forth. And I had been looking at a whole bunch of stuff in flow science, looking at some stuff in, in body cognition, a handful of other like whiz-bang fields that said, I'm looking at all the theory and I'm like, you know, if this stuff is correct, I should be able to onboard even incredibly difficult, challenging physical skills, like in my 50s and 60s, like if this stuff is correct. So I decided to run a giant experiment and I took a whole bunch of these ideas out of flow science and by a bunch of other places, cooked them up together and said, if these things are true, I should be able to teach myself how to park ski in my 50s. Now, I had zero experience park skiing. I knew no tricks. Park skiing, for those who don't know, it's the discipline uh, in skiing that involves doing tricks on jumps and rails and wall rides. You've seen it in the X Games. Yeah, people have seen it in the X Games. I lean you, right? Um, and it's for about 12 different biological reasons. Once you're over the age of 30, 35, it's supposed to be very, very difficult to learn. Once you get to 40 and 50, it's like downright impossible. When I like told people of my mission, everybody just laughed at me. They thought I was going to put myself in the hospital for sure. And, um, it worked remarkably well, like the, 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 the protocol, I, uh, I got farther, faster. It wasn't just that I taught myself, I, I sort of made a, a list of tricks that would be zero to intermediate. And I figured if it takes five years, who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, the idea here, let me just sort of tell you about where it came from. This was last conversation with Mike. And he was basically telling me as I went old, got older, don't have as many entrances into flow as you possibly can get. Don't just have one thing. And my main flow sort of entrance was as a skier, I'm a big mountain skier. So like that means high risk, charging hard, all kinds of stuff. And what I figured is this. So another flows, flow is a creative trigger. When we do pattern matching, right? When we link ideas together in a new way, get a little bit of dopamine that drives us into flow. When you creatively interpret terrain features, that's pattern recognition. So if I'm looking at a little mound of snow, my brain goes, oh, I can do a 360 nose butter off of that. Like, cause I've learned this trick now, um, that create, if I, if I execute, it's an easier entrance into flow. So the idea was, yes, park skiing is really dangerous and it's really, really difficult. But if I could get to intermediate, which is sort of the point at which you stop taking the random falls and you have a little more control over progression. I figured I would have a million more entrances into flow, my favorite activity in the world, right? That was the whole plan. And I was like, if it takes five years, cool. It takes five years, whatever, right? Like this is my backup plan for like my sixties and my seventies or whatever. And I got incredibly far in the season. And which is a number of months to be, to call what a season is. It's just a handful of months, basically. Right. Three, three, four months. So let me put a pin in this and say, all right, let's zoom out now. And why this matters is if I ask anyone who's listening to the question, do you want to be, do you want to have the capability of still learning quickly of growing your wisdom, your, the knowledge, your expertise to use uh, Stephen's words, 
well into the later chapters of your life. I don't know. And again, going back to who wants this, who needs this, no one says no to this. Right? No one says no to it. And let me add one more thing to it because this okay. is the this is the really cool part. So I want to like explode. If there's a goal here with the book is I want to explode our traditional no, idea about aging, which like I, it's the long, slow rot theory, right? It's the idea that our physical skills are mental because they decline over time and there's shit we can do to stop this line, right? That's the traditional theory of aging. And it, it was really dominant even into like 1990s, around 2000, it starts to wobble. Most people don't know it starts to wobble, but the, the short version of the truth is all the skills we used to think fall off a cliff, decline over time, there's nothing we can do to stop the slide. Turns out almost all of them are use it or lose it skills. So if you never stop using these skills, you get to hang on to them and even advance them far later than maybe you thought possible. So one of the reasons action sports and learning like a difficult physical challenge is important is if you want to train up your physical skills, I mean, and which you sort of have to, if you want to just stay functional in the second yeah. half of your life, you got to train all aspects of functional fitness, which is strength, stamina, agility, balance, and uh, uh, flexibility. And that's a shitload to train. If you look at yeah. like the World Health Organization's recommendations, it's like, 300 minutes a week of hardcore aerobic activity followed by three balance and agility days and two strength training days. You're literally training two hours a day <laughs> or you can find a single activity that hits all those things at once, which is where action sports start to actually come in handy uh -huh. uh, in, a, in a really interesting way. Like the very, it's funny, I always say that like the next time the voice in your head says you're too old for this shit, put up pause there because it turns out like you're actually too old probably not to do this shit um and uh in fact that was that was one of the, the last study uh me i ran before he died he wanted to know does our desire to be in flow and use flow to expand performance just go away at, at a point like does it fall off a cliff does it go away and it turns out no the only time it starts to slide is the very tail end of our life as our physical skills start to erode, we can't get into flow the normal ways. The exact conversation Mike and I had when he said, have a backup plan, to have a bunch of different ways into your favorite activity. His favorite activity was mountaineering and rock climbing. And the question I'd asked him in our last conversation was about that. And he said, he said, dude, he said, there are days I can't even get out of bed. Forget about climbing rocks for flow. It was like, have a backup plan. And I was like, this was like, you know, on, on one level, he's a hero to me, obviously. And, and we never had a lot of conversations. We didn't, we weren't great friends, but we did talk. So, but this was, so this was a mental, a great deal to me. Um, but this was also like one flow junkie to another. This wasn't like academics <laughs> and scientists. This was right. like a dude like me, you know what I mean? He's an artist, he's an action sport athlete. That's how he's gotten into flow his whole life. And he is telling me one flow junkie to another, have a freaking backup plan as you get old. And I was like, okay not have to tell me twice. Well, this is, and this is the topic, right? This is why I wanted to have you on the show, not just because you have a new book, but because this book is invaluable. And the idea that you can continue to, and you, you, you hit on earlier, I have heard people in their thirties say, I have, I haven't figured out my life. I'm fucked. Like everyone around me knows their career, has their lot in life. They know they want to be a fill in the blank, whatever the thing is, and they're off living their best stuff. And 
you know, there's a whole university or a whole university, a whole universe of people that are listening that may consider themselves in there. And then another like huge um, cornucopia of people are, hey, look, I know I want to reinvent myself. I did the, you know, work for 20 years for the company, get the gold watch. And I, I know that that's not my the next chapter. So this belief there, and there's a little bit of awareness. Like, do I have it? These kids are on the social medias and I don't know if that's where I don't know if I can like you have to have a belief that you can and that you want to be able to continue to reinvent yourself, knowing that you can do that later in life is why I want you on the show. And it's what we're talking about now. So, um, God, you said a lot, of, a lot, a lot of good stuff in there. Um, one thing that's really interesting, uh, to me about that is, is the mindset piece. Um, so this, this is, this is some of the most amazing, like if you dig under the hood of peak performance aging, there's really cool stories. The researchers themselves are really neat people. They're really fun. They're really eccentric. They're weird. They're creative. So one of my favorite is, is Ellen Langer. Ellen Langer was at Harvard. You may know the name. I always say that like, if you're our generation and you were growing up and you heard a song on the radio, you know who it was. It was probably the Eagles. <laughs> chance, right? You didn't like the Eagles. It was chance. chance. The Eagles. Yeah. I would say Ellen Langer is sort of the Eagles of psychology. You've heard about her work for years. I'll tell you about a couple of her studies because they're just neat. But uh, she was the one who figured out that a positive mind sort toward an agent, meaning I believe the second half of my life is filled with really cool possibilities. Right, it's a growth mindset towards towards aging is really all it is. Mm -hmm. um, it is the link between brain and body is so tight and so powerful on this one that positive mindset towards aging produces an additional seven and a half years of longevity health, wow. which is crazy, crazy, crazy. And there's there's study after study after study. In fact, the Ohio, my favorite is the Ohio. Longitudinal study of aging and retirement because it's 20 years. They ran it from 75 to 95, and it was only like 5,000 people involved. And it was only designed to test this one thing. Well, how impactful is mindset on longevity and health? And that was where that seven and a half year number comes from. And it like it gets even crazier because a lot of Ellen Langer's, uh, she worked with a, a really wonderful woman named Becca Levy, who's now at Yale. Becca's specialty hasn't been on aging related stereotypes because it's the most the most common stereotype in the world is, is a negative stereotype towards all people it's the most acceptable stereotype you can hold um yeah. globally and it's unbelievably dangerous mm. danger uh, like really shortens people's lives um if you live under under those pressures so it's really the mindset stuff is really amazing and i'll give you I'll give you a random this is an alan langer story this was her first study um and let me tie it to flow for you for a second. So one of the things that happens in flow is we get a sense of control, right? We, there's a bunch of experiences that we have that like, how do we know if we're in flow? There's like six different things that happens. One of them is this feeling of, oh, wow, look, I'm controlling the things that I can't normally control. It's like me as a writer, like I'm doing really crazy things in my sentences, right? And like, whoa, that's not normal or, you know, that sort of stuff. So she very, back in the, in the 70s, it was this, she got hired to see if she could make life in a retirement home better for people. And she says so she divides the groups of people into two groups. They both get the same thing. They both get like plants in their rooms, more access to movies. They get to watch more movies. They get more social time. The difference is 
one group gets a little bit of control. One group has to water their own plant. One group gets to choose what movies they're going to watch and they get to choose when to have social hour. The other group, they get a plant, the nurses take care of it. They don't get to choose when they're having social hour, but they get more of it and they don't get to choose which movies they're watching, but they watch more movies. All ever and they, and they run the study for a year and a half. And at the end of it, there's a lot of different, like the group that had a little more control, much better health benefits. But the shocking one at the end of the study, they're twice as likely to be alive than the other group. The impact of control, mastery and control are two of the greatest feelings we can get. And they're deeply tied to our immune system. So one of the reasons lifelong learning matters so much when we feel mastery, when we feel control, it boosts T cell production. So the cells that fight off uh, disease, it also boosts natural killer cells. So those are the cells that'll target tick tumors and other sort of sick cells, issues that we have later in life. Um, having feelings of mastery and control, what we get from lifelong learning, what we get from reinventing ourselves and just push it, pushing forward. And I just have to say is like, I've learned a lot of stuff over a lot of years. But learning a, like a supposedly impossible physical skills in my 50s, probably the most fun I've ever had learning anything. Wow. It was really neat. It was really neat. Wow. Well, I, every step of the way was, holy crap, look what I can do. Look what I can, like, like I just couldn't, you know what I mean? I, I, I couldn't believe it. It was really fun. Well, let's, let me ask a, a it's a slight um, tangent, but it, is a personal curiosity. So I'm going to ask, it, and it's very closely related. So we are, you are using the lens and there's a reason I'm going to ask this and I'll, I'm going to retrace this real quick. So you were an advocate early on of flow. Uh, and as you said, Mike, Mihai chick sent me high did the work and was primarily around artists and creativity flow states for artists. You then took that work and said, well, let's look at it. And what's an area to study any area where you see massive growth and transformation of an entire industry. And you said, hmm, turns out that action sports is a really interesting place to look because five years ago, people who did a backflip were cool. And now if you've watched the X games lately, people are doing quad flip twisting tricks. You know, you watch Sean White in the half pipe or, you know, or, or, you know, any number of Travis Rice rip a big mountain and they're doing, you know, double backs in the middle of this 50 degree slope, et cetera. You see, a, 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 there's a very clear picture of radical human performance. Okay. Understand, just take all that for granted. I, you know, you may need to correct some of that, but just put a pin in that and say, okay, you then have taken the flow. It's not just about action sports. It's about, you know, all the areas of our life this is part of the human condition that makes us feel rich and alive and connected. And now you're making biological uh, claims based on research that says this stuff later in life not only is possible, but is available to everyone and not only makes your quality of life better, but makes your life longer and healthier at the same time. Chase, the way, I, the way I've been framing it is, not only does flow make life worth living, it makes a whole lot more life worth living. Um, there you go. So I've been thinking about it. So yeah, absolutely. That's totally, you, you're right there. Okay. So here's my personal um, question. Again, you used action sports to study this and you use this specifically in your book, Nar Country, because 
you were interested in skiing and it was a thing that was supposed to not really be available to someone of your age to be able to do these things. But I want to underscore that it's, this is not what we're talking about. If you are not interested in skiing and snowboarding, this is not an ask to you for you to become a snowboarder. Yeah. So let's, let's, first of all, let's sum up peak performance aging in this sentence. And there's a re you'll see why actions works in the middle of the sentence, but it, the sentence is what matters. If you want to, we want to kick ass till we kick the bucket. You want to engage in challenging social and creative activities that demand dynamic, deliberate play in novel outdoor environments. That is literally, and I mean, it's, it's funny because like a lot of people hear a lot of different things about peak performance aging and the, and the first things they always going to do is like, oh, let me change my diet. We fuck with my diet. Let me join a gym or you do those things. I'm not saying don't, but the big levers, challenging social and creative activities, dynamic, deliberate play. That's a very fancy word. Dynamic literally just means you're using all five categories of functional fitness. So strength, stamina, balance, agility, and flexibility, deliberate play. You've heard of deliberate practice. That's Anders Erickson's idea of like reputation with incremental advancement is how we get to expertise. And it is how we get to expertise, but for a very limited group of skills. And for most of us, deliberate play, which is often defined as like repetition without repetition. It means like repetition with opportunity for a little bit of improvisation. Um, in a novel outdoor environment. That's what matters. That's like, in fact, when we ran the original, uh, when I, so I did the study on myself and uh, then my ski partner uh, was running the same protocol. He's younger than I am. He got incredibly far. We went, okay, that's really cool. And uh, you can see all this and go to the website in our country.com. You can see the videos. I'm sure you've seen them. Um, but we then took 17 older adults, ages uh, 29 to 68. And we tested the exact same protocol on them to see if it would have worked for skiers and snowboarders. They were all intermediates, by the way. Nobody was an expert anything. They were just intermediates. And then, to your point, you don't need action sports. Once that experiment was radically successful, and go to narcountry.com, read the white paper, watch the video. You don't have to believe me. Just take a look at what we did. We then took 500 people, none of them action sport athletes, and put them through the same protocol just in a peak performance aging perspective to see... And all of them came out the other end going, holy crap, what is possible in the second half of my life? And that's the feeling I'm after. That's what I'm interested in. That's like the whole the whole point behind our country um, is I really am interested in exploding our myths about the second half of our life. And I want to mention, because I'd be derelict if I didn't, um, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, there's something really important here. So you're going to have to indulge me for a couple minutes. I got to give you one more set of facts about second half of our lives. So one of the great, this was a discovered predominantly by a, a guy named Gene Cohn, who was the first director of the National Institute for Aging under the National Institute of NIMH uh, Mental Health. The National Institute of Aging is under it. He was the first director, does a couple of huge studies on aging, and he makes a wild discovery. So it used to be, we thought, as I talked about earlier, that our cognitive skills decline over time. It turns out as we enter our 50s, because of genes, because of certain giant brain, because we actually get access to a legitimate suite of cognitive superpowers. In our 50s, we get it right. We get access to whole new levels of intelligence, 
um, at multi-perspectival thinking, abstract reasoning, problem solving, new levels of creativity, including just get this divergent thinking. Unlimited levels of divergent thinking unlock in our 50s. Also empathy, also wisdom. These are legit cognitive superpowers and they come, they start coming online in our 50s. So what's the big deal about those four skill sets? From an entrepreneurial standpoint, I remember this so clearly. I was running around the country after either Bold or Abundance, one of my big entrepreneurial tech books. And I was talking to, you know, tons of CEOs as, as, as I do. And they were all saying the same thing. They said, God, in the 21st century, I need the same thing in my employees. I need employees who are really creative and really innovative because, you know, the rate of change in the world, it's moving really quick and I want to keep pace. And two, I need employees who are really empathetic and wise because like I need them to one, great group dynamics, psychological safety, all that stuff. That's what makes companies hum on the inside. But the mantra of 21st century business Thank Jeff Bezos for this, but it's customer-centric thinking, right? And if you're not apathetic and you're not wise, nobody's thinking like their customers. And so I'm running around the country, at, like tied all these CEOs, and as I'm sort of studying Gene Cohn's research for the first time, and I was like, holy shit, man. People over 50 are the, this is dream workforce of the 21st century. This is exactly what people are looking for. But there's some interesting caveats. While you get those superpowers, if you don't, if you're not sort of costly training up, like you got to train up physical skills at the same time, because if your body starts to fall apart, doesn't matter that you have these new cognitive skills. And you also actually have to train up uh, your risk tolerance along the way, because mm -hmm. if you're too fearful, it's going to block that creativity. It's going to block that empathy. It's going to block the abstract reasoning. All the things we get, too much fear is going to block. So, as, but as long as you're training up uh, risk taking and um, training up your physical skills, what your brain starts to be able to do in your 40s, your 50s, and your 60s. And some of this stuff, like the divergent thinking, that sort of stuff, it's really robust in our 60s and 70s. So, mm -hmm. like, oh, it goes on. Um, that's really amazing. I mean, that's, that's a business revolution waiting to happen, as far as I can tell. For sure. For sure. And I just thought of a couple of friends who were working in that space. And I was like, I really need to reach out to them and share this work with, that you have done with them because they, they have a similar hypothesis and they have some business models that they're using to, to test it. One is called second shift, which is uh, about brilliant women who have um, focused on the family for a certain number of years. They were at one time high powered executives or they were, you know, in um, making huge strides in business left to focus on the family. Now, is there a world where we can harness that power with a new set of constraints and freedoms and acknowledgement as this work that you've done provides? So I'm going to talk to Gina, our friend Gina about that, but I need to put a, a, another pin in this because you said a lot of stuff that I want to try and capture most specifically and most recently, what I want to underscore is you talked about physicality, right? You need to stay physical. You need to, there's this sort of challenging and I'll just park it in risk you need to not let risk get in the way. And then if you're doing those things, you also get this, the benefit of the wisdom and the, you know, new empathy and, and there's all kinds of, of mental faculties that are unlocked. If I'm 
understand this correctly, one of the reasons that you pursued the action sports is because there's a lot of, like you get basically a lot of those in one activity, but it would be reasonable, or maybe the question to you is, as the expert here, would it be reasonable that you can have an exercise routine, you can have a risk routine, and you can have a mental routine to sort of maximize each of those individually. Totally. Such and, that and but on the physical side, by the way, if you're just looking for one thing, wake vest hiking. You want to be, you want to be high. You want to be outside. You want to be, if you could have your athletic activities outside, it's just that the brain was, um, it's just very good for the aging brain to have, to like be, be working out, uh, an outdoor environment. So most of neurogenesis, if you want to stave off cognitive decline, whatever you need new neurons, most of those neurons are born in the hippocampus, which is the part of your brain that does map making. It's like location place. And what it would it evolve for? It evolved to remember where you were when you had emotionally charged house experiences in the, in the great outdoors. Because that's what we had as hunter gatherers. Oh, look, here's the food source where I got attacked by a tiger over here. You take your pick. So you just want to use your biology the way it was designed to be used. But weight vest hiking actually is phenomenal. Weight. One of the things that's really important is bone density over time and weight vests. Not only do they allow you to train strength, stamina, all the things you want to train at once, they also increase bone density. So if you're looking for like one sort of exercise that you probably weight vest hiking with a good stretching program afterwards, and you're pretty set. Um, so there is, there's, there are a lot of ways to do this, you know, without action adventure sports. It's just that for one-stop shopping or <laughs> right. it's, it, it's easier. Right. It's just easier. And this, by the way, is why, like, if you look at the longest lived communities in America, one, two, and three is Summit, Eagle, and Pitkin. And those are the three counties in Colorado where that's Aspen, Vale, Beaver Creek, A Basin, Copper Mount, right? Like, that's what that is. And those are the longest. In fact, Summit County, the longest lived county in America, 10 years longer than everybody else. Wow. A little bit of altitude, a little bit of, uh, exercise outdoor novel outdoor yeah. environments and yeah. and and the physicality yeah okay so the i i again to just keep anchoring this in this to me this means everything and you said it this study of older adults you started with studying 29 year olds right so yeah well yeah, let's, I, so let me let's talk about that mindset old for a second because you'll right. dig this you'll understand this in a second why so why me? <laughs> oh, there one. I'll get that. Okay. So okay. we got a but we you mentioned earlier. There's a bunch of neurochemicals underneath us, and when we're younger, so there are seven basic primary emotional systems. There's there's more complicated ones, but like all mammals, there's a fear system and a joy system and a panic grief system and a rage system and so forth. So each of those are really tied to specific neurochemicals, and neurochemicals as a general rule. Are addictive drugs. They're just internal versions of X of, of addictive drugs, right? When we're younger, we're predominantly about the seeking system and the play system. We're trying to figure out who we are in the world, go out, what are we going to do? What are we going to get now? We're going to play our way there. And then at a certain point, roughly around 30 or whatever, we start getting the stuff we want. Have the family, you've got the job, you've got, you start having stuff to lose. May not even be the stuff you really want, but you've got stuff that you want to protect and you want to... Once that happens, our mindset shifts and we start to develop this mindset of old. It's not, 
We're not thinking, oh, I'm old. We're thinking, oh, I got to I gotta take care of my family. Oh, I got to hold on to this job. I gotta, that's what we're thinking. But what it does to us uh, mentally is that's where the, I think that's where like that mental aging process starts. Um, that And I thought you would dig that. For sure. And I'm saying that that historically that is thought as a good thing. And I'm saying what research you're pointing to is that anchoring on old actually has all kinds of horrible bias built into it. You've already made clear that we actually there there's this wisdom thing we get and you have proven that you can be come physically gifted in all these different areas where previously thought it was not. And so what can we do? Again, paying attention to your book, I would say your book is the first place for listeners to start, but to change this mindset, to learn that reinventing yourself in the 30s and 40s. And it's no wonder you look back at some of these you know, artists like Madonna. How many times did Madonna reinvent herself or Lady Gaga? Or there's, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to think about it. But shit, they were onto something and that is available to you. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, 19, 29, 39, or 59 right now, that there is a whole new universe of information, of inspiration, of opportunity through this work that Stephen is doing. Thank you for doing this work. So this is a, a, um, a there's a debt of gratitude to you. And I'll, my, my parents listen to the podcast, so I'll, I'll be speaking to my parents now. I'm excited for them to hear this and to read the book in part because there are numerous um, things embedded in the language of our culture, in our the mindsets of cultures and previous generations about what happens at what age. And I think this is a huge and unbelievable wake-up call. And well, look, we've been talking about it for a long time on this show and others that this whole concept of the ability to reinvent yourself, or you did a job that you didn't like for a long time. You're like, Oh gosh, now it seems so hard to figure out the social media. You got to tell me that I need to, you know, start a podcast or launch a business. And the answer is hell yes. And that you can. And this idea that you're over the hill is largely fiction. And it's, uh, the other thing I, I, I just really have to emphasize, um, so one of the reasons they nobody thought I could learn to park ski is there's the motor learning window slam shut by about 25, right? Don't become a gymnast or a dancer. And it turns <laughs> out maybe, maybe, like there's something to that motor learning window, something, but it's something. And it turns out what actually changes is how we learn. When we're kids, we learn through playing. We don't judge ourselves harshly. We fall down and get a bit like... That's the, that's the real secret, right? And yeah, you got to learn social media. You got to learn whatever it is. You may have to learn. You may have to have to learn that thing, but you don't have to be good at it in the beginning, right? Like yeah. you, like you, it is part of the, part of the fun of like learning something. Sorry, I got part. One of the things about park skiing that was so great is I had no expectation that I was going to be great. Like not whatsoever. Right. I just like I had an expectation that I would learn some new mood patterns and it probably like I fall down a little bit, but and it was going to be funny. I was going to have to like laugh at myself. I mean, I, you know, I don't like to be bad in public. So I try like to learn in terrain parks where there's not a chairlift directly above the terrain park and whatever. So yeah. I can spare myself a little bit of the public embarrassment. But mostly it was just about like 
oh my God, I'm an absolute beginner again and I suck. And I got to learn to really like that. And um, it, that was the, that was actually the really fun part was like rebooting that kind of. I, I, there's so much sort of joy being unlocked with, if you, if you can, if we can get this, the word that, you know, your, your book, if we can get this word out, I think it unlocks so much for so many people. The idea, I heard someone talking about Stanford, one of the characteristics of, was a professor that they noted uh, being at Stanford versus other places was there was actually a willingness to ask questions that would have otherwise seemed dumb, or there was a willingness to not be the smartest person in the room. And there is a, a great curiosity. So you could say that Stanford or any great institution or that you can, you, you really can filter for some of those things. And let's just lift that out of Stanford and put it into whoever's listening right now, into your family. If you can select for these things intentionally in yourself, in your friends, in your family, for curiosity, for play, for willingness to be a beginner again, the beginner's mindset. I forget what the, what the phrase is for that. The, the word in, uh, is it, uh, Chinese? Is it Chinese? I think it's Chinese. Mind. Yeah. So the beginner's mind, if you can associate with other people who are willing to do that, that, that is that there's a richness in there. So if I think about the same thing, my, I'll, I'll use the example of my wife. Now I talked about my parents earlier. I go to Kate. So uh, as a young person, I worked at a golf course and I worked at a golf course. It was because it was the closest business that I could walk to. My dad used to drag me around the golf course. I had fun. I liked sports as a kid. And so in high school, in, uh, in the summers, I worked at the golf course. I gave up golf. I, I played golf as a young person. It was pretty good. Got a hole in one when I was like 15, I think. Um, no way. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Thank you. And yet as then I went on to play college soccer. And when you do that, it's an eight hour a day job. Most people don't know that, but at D1. And then I was poor. So after, after college, you, first you're doing something very, you know, time and labor intensive. Then you're really poor. Then I thought golf was stupid because it was just a, you know, a game for whatever dumb, dumb, rich white folk and a country club world didn't appeal to me. And so I, I eschewed golf, bring on the pandemic. And I'm like, there is literally nothing else to do. It's the only thing you can do. Only outside activity. The only parks that are open are golf courses. And at least in Seattle started golfing again, started getting together with my male friends to do this outside. I loved it. Kate having, you know, again, I, someone who golfed a lot as a young person took 25 years off, started golfing again, fell in love with it. It's a weird sport. There's all there's, there's problems with it, but it's, it, it, we are in the process of reinvention there. Kate says, gosh, I would really like to do that. I, I and see how this is positively affecting you. And if you go back and you look at golf, it basically does all these things that you're talking about. Proprioception, swing, social. You know. It's a challenge. I mean, you, you need a little more, if, if you're carrying your own bag. Sure. Yes. Right. If you're and literally, I think if you're carrying your own bag, you may have to do some stuff that works on agility a little bit. Um, Cause it's going to favor like one side of your body over the sure. other. Totally. Like that. It, oh. it, it, if you look for an 80% solution, it's, it's probably pretty good and it's not, but, sport. but I mean, you've got, it's a challenging social. I mean, the, the, the what's really important there um, is that is the challenging social and creative, right? Like yep. though, if you like, if you want to start anywhere and in fact, people, it is as we age the, I mean, 
in peak performance in general, for flow in general, like if you want to tap into flow in general, for managing your nervous system in general, but for this second half of our life, nothing is more important than, um, it's actually, if you were to point at two things, strong legs and a, and a strong social life. There you go. The most important things um, for for kicking ass as we age, and it's funny because if people don't really understand the data, I'll give you I'll give you a startling one. It is more important if you're obese. You know, obese, obese. It is more important that you have a robust social life than you lose weight for peak performance aging. Wow, that's if you're a smoker. It is more important that you have a robust social life than you quit smoking. Like if you if you're picking between the two, wow, having a yeah. So like that's what I mean when I was earlier when I was like people tend to reach for the wrong levers where they don't actually they don't know like they've ever we've all heard oh yeah it's really important to maintain robust social ties as we get older we've all heard it but you're not you gotta like you start looking in the numbers and you're like holy crap I'll give you something else. Just to put it in context, so when they look at traditional sports, right, and they want to measure like where's joining a gym, running, swimming, blah blah blah, yep. but for health and longevity, number one, they they have not measured action sports in with regular sports. So like, but number one is tennis, number two there is badminton, and number three is soccer, and way 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 down on the list is like joining a gym, going running, swimming. Um, in fact, swimming because it doesn't load any of your joints, it doesn't actually help with bone density so it may actually be a pretty crappy exercise right. as we get older despite the fact that like people are told oh go swimming it's easy on your joints no no it actually turns out they're easy on your joints is not what you want well yeah it's a little bit of stress right that stress is like you need to do bicep curls to get stronger biceps you need to put a little weight on your joints to keep strong joints so that everything that you just said i I, th- I feel like applies to this my wife kate sees this thing says cool well i'm you're having a good time you know, we have some mutual friends. Maybe this is a thing I want to take up. Are, are you, this is like, I'm curious. I kind of want Can you help me with this? I was like, babe, love it. That'd be amazing. So we're going to cut to the punchline. She started golfing and absolutely loves it. She's like an addict. She's like all over this. She be, She was willing to be a beginner. We designed basically a plan to help her learn as quickly as possible. And in the matter of six months, she went from basically never having played golf to traveling all over and playing some of the very best golf courses in the world and physical exercise, mental exercise, social connection, flexibility, agility. So many of these things that you're talking about. By the way, I want to hit something. You see, I want to say this because you, you said it sure. and it, it was at the heart of what I did. Um, and I want to, so you designed a program that allowed her to go as slow as possible when I designed my Narcondry approach, at the heart of everything I did was one core philosophy, which was one inch at a time. Start with as, as something you can do 100% of the time with zero fear and you know no problems and build on that micro, just build. And it was the go slow to go fast, one inch at a time. And in fact, um, that was when we were running the experiment with the older adults. Um, that was like the funniest part about it is at the beginning, like you should have seen the team meeting. We had a team meeting before. There was like, there were a couple of guy dudes in their sixties and they were like, I have never caught air in my entire life, but I'm not about to start now. We are like, that's just fine, sir. Like whatever you need. Right. 
And of course, by the end of day one, everybody was going crazy. And I literally, I, I pulled the, the my researchers aside. I was like, we got to calm them down. They're trying, like, they're so excited. They're learning so much. Hurt. You got to calm hurt. them down because otherwise we're going to have problems. You have one inch at a time is, is, is the watchword. So I love that you did that with Kate. Yeah, it, it was it's super, super fun. And it's actually uncorking a similar um, orientation to a number of other sports. And whether that's pickleball or there's, you know, 10 other examples. The point, again, the emphasis that I'm trying to make here is this does not start when you hit a certain age. This is a protocol that wherever you are in, whatever space you're in right now, whatever industry, if you are interested in longevity, uh, vitality, veracity, um, joy, that this, this has to be considered. This the, the 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 work that you've done, Stephen, has to be, I would even say, at the center of your lifelong strategy. It incorporates lifelong learning. It incorporates play, experimentation, social, physical, all this stuff. I love the emphasis that you've placed in our country on being outside. This is not for people who want to get on the stairmaster and then go sit and drink martinis. Not that that's you know I won't judge, but. That's not actually what we're talking about here. This the, the undercurrent of outside, the undercurrent of social. Uh, these are and yeah, by the way, don't don't sleep on the creativity. So creativity. Gene Cohn, Gene Cohn felt that if you really want to unlock these superpowers of aging, you gotta be creative to really get at them. Like a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the the levels of intelligence that open up. You have to be trained the brain to think creatively a little bit to start getting access. Like you'll get levels of divergent thinking that, that are literally not even possible, which I'm really excited about because for uh, for folks, you, me, for like people we know who have actually spent their whole lives as creatives, making a living as creatives, working as creatives, where we've sort of honed divergent thinking. I'm really interested to see what starts. You know what I mean? I was like- yeah. You're telling me like this thing that I've used my whole life to make a living, I'm going to get more of it this decade and next? Like, really? Okay. You know? Yeah. All right. Cool. It's, it's, it's analogous. Uh, as someone who's experiencing uh, the same, like the creativity part that you're talking about right now, the idea that this is a, um, just like when you start to become more uh, comfortable in your own skin, you know, whatever you, the preconceived notions you have as a, you know, awkward teenager. And then you go into this sort of like, um, judgy early twenties or there's, you know, you can put some sort of rough, um, I don't know, you can label these different times in your life. And there's at some point you like settle into who you are and there's this like a, a growth and a richness. I feel like that happens. This seems to me to be like the new version of that, that not only again, this, this, radically amplified creativity you start to understand how you know i've always been an advocate of i don't care what you know how you learn you have to figure out how you learn and once you can you know, like close out all the other bullshit about how you should do x and y and if you start to understand yourself socrates know thyself that's when life gets good and this seems to me to be a direct analog learn find out discover play and find out these things that Steven's talking about and holy shit, if there's, if you didn't, you know, pull the cork off of a, a new bottle of the best shit. I also want to say one of the things about in our country. Um, so one of the things you did that I always loved 
early days of the Chase Jarvis show, you put your fucking studio online and you let everybody just see how the sausage gets made. Want to yep. see what a photo shoot looks like? This is what a photo shoot looks like. You want to see how to do a music video? This is like you did all that. One of the things, and I, and I loved it. I like, you know, pulling back the curtain and just being like, look, whatever it is that you're doing, there's a process. So one of the cool things about in our country, and you probably noticed this, unlike any of my other books, this is essentially written as a, it's a diary. It's not really a diary, but it goes step by step through the season, which, um, it allowed me to do something that nobody's ever done before. And I don't think anybody's ever done it because it's, it's a, it's a hard writing problem. Like to to not be boring and do what I I did is really freaking hard. But, uh, I, I think I pulled it off. I don't think the book's boring and you get to see what applied peak performance and applied peak performance aging looks like on a daily basis. And I, that was, that was part of sort of like what I wanted to do with this book because we found the flow research collective and training people like the thing to teach people was literally the like hey man this stuff is a checklist it's about doing it every day and just repeating it's the consistency nothing we're asking you to do is hard if there's anything hard it's being consistent because where the really as you know the results show up three months five months right like that it's compound interest yep. and i've never been able to even in the art of impossible right like the art of impossible is a book about like using the science of, of, of peak performance to solve hard challenges, but arts in the title, because like applying that science on a day-to-day basis, it's a wildly creative act that's different for everybody, yeah. right? Yes. Yes. And I just wanted people to see what that looked like. Um, Cause it, I, it felt like that was the gap. Like it was, it felt like it was a gap that I like, there's a lot of stuff I can't help you with, but like, this was a little thing that I was like, Oh, I can, I can help some folks here. I can close that gap a little bit. And much in the way that I think you putting your studio online really helped a lot of like young, young creatives. I'm hoping the same thing comes out in our country where people are like, oh, this is what this shit looks like on an applied day-to-day day basis. Okay, that's not that hard. As someone who uh, writes books myself now, I, it's a part of my identity, I guess. But awesome. I remember when you were writing your first book. And I kept saying, I was like, dude, it's a career. You're going to write a bunch of them. Calm down. It's fine. <laughs> Which is exactly what it's turning into. I'm Here I am, mid-second book. But uh, one of the things that I started really early after that second book was trying to, to chronicle a book about writing a book because it was it's really a creative process and trying to harness the creative process through the part of through the process of creating something. And I, it, it was boring. It was difficult, which is, this is a personal note to you. Congratulations, because you were able to do it. You actually captured the spirit and it's because action sports and there's a lot, there's like drama and you got other people and salt writing is a very solitary. <laughs> solitary it was thing. a real, um, uh, it was, uh, it was a real, it's interesting because if you read in our country, it's probably one of the easiest books I've ever, I've, you know, it's, it's fun. It's an adventure story as much as it's a, it's a primer on peak performance aging and all that stuff. Um, and which I'm proud of it because like, you can't tell how, like you can't tell, but like there's chapters that are informative and they're teaching you stuff. There's other chapters that are adventure chapters and there are chapters that are really funny. And there are chapters that are, and I had to like, it was all about like what order and how do you sequence that and whatever. So you don't like, so you constantly are like 
engaging the reader and not boring people. That's maybe too much detail for people, but it was, <laughs> I was a real challenge as, as a writer. And this is book 14. Yeah. You know, not the end like, and it was that's a crazy. real challenge as a writer, which I, I like, I like when I, and I, I'm working on a book and the book is kicking me in the ass in that way, because it means I'll learn it. Oh, so fun. And again, kudos on pull, pulling it off. Um, book is great. Again, NAR country, G N A R country, uh, get it anywhere. Books are sold, Amazon or your local bookstore, all of it in between. Um, I want to say thank you. I, I kept you for a little longer than I uh, told you I would, but what a fun ride. Congratulations. It's awesome to connect with you. And uh, what's the latest? You, you're in Tahoe making turns? I'm in Tahoe. I'm making, I'm making turns. Right, was, was choking on snow. Yeah, um, I heard it's been deep over there. I got a little knee thing going on, so I'm I'm uh, I'm seeing um, my orthopod on Thursday. It is a Monday. No one cares about that, but it's a Monday. I'm seeing my orthopod for some knee picks on Thursday, trying to figure out what's going on. Take um, a look. I uh, if you you know the, I I had some success with knees and regenerative medicine, some exosomes and placental matrix. Yeah, I uh, I really um this is in the book also, but like. I think there's a lot of hype around regenerative medicine. There's a lot of stuff that isn't very true. Yep. But when it comes to like where the technology has gotten to, ligaments, tendons, and possibly bones are like most of that stuff is pretty damn treatable at this point, which is really cool. Yes. Right? Like, those are a lot of the like sort of like the low hanging chronic aging issues that we all face, yep. um, especially lifelong athletes. Yep. And it really does. Um, and I've used, I mean, I've, I've fixed knees, shoulders, and a back using wow. these tools. And the, so like, and uh, over the years, and I really like, I've been doing, running these experiments on regenerative medicine for 20 years now. Did not, this shit wasn't ready for prime time, <laughs> but in the past three to five years. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's getting there. And when it comes to like tendons and ligaments, you know, so whatever those picks are, no, they're they're a starting place and not a death center. That I have already been programming myself for that. The Tony Robbins, um, I don't know if you're friends with Tony or not, but I was talking to him. He just he did a shoulder, and he's like, it's he's he was blown away with yeah his body's ability to recover around a joint that is arguably that's the most instable joint relative to hips and knees. Like this has got the craziest range of motion, and obviously it's difficult to pin that back down once you heard it, but he's had great success there and some other mutual friends with, uh, with all those various, uh, things that you're talking about there. So, um, thank you for the reassurance. Um, I am as a person who's committed to lifelong learning. I'm also committed to, you know, I've been a moving my body. I'm a, I'm a weirdo. I get weird if I do not move my body every day. Yeah, me um, too. These things are super important. So man, Thanks for uh, the kick in the ass. It's always fun to um, have you share the mix of science, of storytelling, of inspiration that your books and that your work uh, always provides. It's a treat to have you on the show. And we'll go out and we'll support you. That's uh, um, folks again, G-N-A-R Country. It's the name of the book by Mr. Stephen Kotler. Thanks for being on the show, bud. I appreciate it. You're always welcome. Next time, book number 15, when you come out with that one, we'll get you back on the show. But for everybody else out there in the world, take this uh, information here, put it to good use. We appreciate Stephen. Sh check out the book. And until next time, we both bid you adieu. 
All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. <music>